THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, Listen Nerds Like You, and Floating Bunny head creator Jonathan Sims. Head to Skelonaut.com today to see John's comics, shirts, art prints, and more. That's S-K-E-L-E-N-A-U-T dot com. Ah, cha-cha-cha-cha-cha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 544 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast Nerds. I'm a very smoky Matt Bomb this morning. Why does it smell so good in here? Because we're smoking ribs. Mm, Cowboy style. Yeah, I don't know what that means. That means it's over a fire pit, baby. Oh, okay. You mean like on a grill? No, a fire pit. Oh, a fire pit. I converted my fire pit into a cowboy cooking area. Okay, great. Yeah. I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode... Screw you. I mean, great. Good job. We put our review spotlight on J.J. Abrams and Sons Spider-Man number one and IDW's G.I. Joe Redux. It's a Redux, right? I suppose. I guess. After that, we're going to review eight more of this Wednesday, September 18th's comics and cure Joe Patrick's fear of horror movies during the ludicrous speed round. I'm confident that neither one of us knows what Redux means. Then it's down to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we're redecorating and rapping about our must-read picks for next week. And finally, we check in with our Sumerian, Sumerian, not Sumerian, that's with C, beat reporter, Wooly Toots, for the Swords and Scroll Report. It's all happening on this Harvest Moon episode. But first, we better talk about this week's Nerd News. What does Redux mean? It means brought back, colon, revived, Oh. Semicolon, sorry. Brought back, semicolon, revived. Doing it again. I think it counts. All right. Nerd news. Frank Miller will return to his Dark Knight Returns continuity for the 800th time. Frank Miller will for be kicking the dead horse that is his <laughs> Dark Knight Returns. For The Golden Child, a mercifully just a 48-page one-shot written by Miller. But here's the thing. Art by Raphael Grandpa <sighs> and Jordi Belair. God. <sighs> This so the was, art's going to be great. Yeah. That, the pictures will be really neat. Yeah, well, <laughs> this was reported by Entertainment Weekly. Uh, Dark Knight Returns, colon, The Golden Child is set three years after The Dark Knight 3, colon, The Master Race. These titles. And will focus on Jonathan Kent, the son of Superman and Wonder Woman in this DC alternate continuity. Jonathan Kent appeared as an infant in The Master Race while his sister Lara, also the child of Superman and Wonder Woman, held a more central role in the limited series. I, did I didn't not finish, finish it. it. It was terrible. No, I read three issues. It was issues. fucking terrible. I don't terrible. even know if I made it through three issues. I, I read just, the first two because I was the first one was so weird that I had to read the second one and I was like, ah, I, I don't care. Uh, here's a whole bunch of shit from Miller I don't really feel like reading. Nah. Uh, Carrie Kelly, who debuted in the original DKR as Robin and then grew to become Batwoman for the Master Race. So the kids call it DKR? DKR, baby. Okay. Uh, which he'll, she will also be part of The Golden Child. Yeah. Uh, some more stuff from Miller. I don't really want to read it. December 11th. We're getting it just in time for Christmas. Yeah, I know. Uh, Miller's take, here's the thing, the fun part about this story, I thought. Uh, Miller's take on Superman has changed over the decades with the writer admitting that he, quote, gave Superman a very hard time in the original Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> with this and the current Superman Year One limited series, Miller says he, quote, celebrates the character, although he doesn't need my sympathy. 
What? Okay, Frank. What does that mean? I don't know. Uh, like Miller's contempt for for like hopeful and bright superheroes. And his know. fans. Don't forget his fans. Yeah. Also, he yeah. Hates right. Them too. Um, I'm gonna definitely want to look very hard at this book. Yeah, because it's gonna be beautiful. Well, and just yeah, it's gonna be pretty. But it seems to be like this Dark Knight Returns shit keeps moving further and further away from Batman. I don't even know if Batman was in, was Batman. In the last one? I mean, did, they, did he die? There was like bad stuff going on. But he was, it was there, like right? Background. Yeah, no, nah, he was there. I mean, he was around, I guess. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm so disconnected from anything Frank Miller these well, days. Well, I don't care about this. Any, I don't. It's just this whole universe, I don't care about it. I cared about The Dark Knight Returns. The Dark Knight Returns sure. is legendary. It's very cool. Right. I don't care about more stories in that future no. by a burnt out old racist that doesn't write good comics anymore. I, yeah, I just... A failed Hollywood director, too. Sorry. Almost forgot. Well, fuck y- that guy. I mean, <laughs> Jeez. I'm piling on. I mean, I'm not like, I angry about I it. I don't care about Frank Miller anymore. And I don't understand why DC thinks we do. The sales on the Master Race were not good. But I think that Frank Miller's name comes with an automatic amount of Does sales it still? clout. Does it still? There's a lot of old fans out there that still really love him. I just, I don't. I've I've completely disconnected from his work. I'm I'm not excited about Frank Miller project. Yeah, I don't care. I'd like to hear from someone defend this shit, honestly. If somebody wants to call in and tell me why I should care, I would like to hear that argument. And not you, Chase. You've destroyed your own credibility. <laughs> <laughs> like so many That's people. That's not true. A ton of people contact me and they're like, that dude is insane. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. That's enough about him. Okay. Yeah. From the Wonder Woman desk, this is another far future DC continuity, Dead Earth. In other DC news, the publisher's black label non-imprint imprint will expand with a post-apocalyptic Wonder Woman limited series titled Dead Earth from Murder Falcon creator Daniel Warren Johnson, as announced via io9.com. I'm sorry, it's Daniel Warren Johnson. <laughs> Warren Johnson's going to write and draw Wonder Woman Dead Earth, while Mike Spicer is going to color the story. In Dead Earth, Diana awakens in a future world where most of mankind has perished in a nuclear war, leaving her to face down the monsters that now roam the Earth. It is Mad Max Fury Road starring Diana. It's heavy metal Wonder Woman in the post-apocalypse punching really ugly monsters. We love this creator. Yes. We loved Murder Falcon. Yes. Loved, loved, loved it. This is the first Black Label book where I have been excited. Yeah, this sounds cool. And this is what you should be doing with Black Label. Yes. Shit like this. This is where we can do super violent future stories. It like, doesn't matter. It's not going to ruin Wonder Woman. Shut right. Up, stop crying. Great creators. And I hope this sells well. I don't I know too. how big of a name Daniel Warren Johnson yeah, is. Yeah, true. Very true. But so, but if they package it well and we get a kick-ass preview and, and nerds look at the art and go, fuck yeah, I want to see Wonder Woman tear a mutant in half. That sounds cool. Yeah, I'm very excited. And totally like, down. Like you said, I think this is the first time that DC has really like maximized the potential of yes. Black Label. As opposed to it's just like Brian Azzarello. Like we all know what Brian Azzarello does. And I'm not taking anything away from him. Yeah, not But so I much never that. really cared for his Batman and I don't give a shit about the bat dick, you know. I mean right. whatever. It's just that like all the Black Label stuff I've read so far has been just like, well this could have been Right. It could have been whatever. Yeah. It could have been a normal story except for the dick. Yeah. Uh, and a couple curse words. Right. But yeah, this this is what I want from Black Label. Totally. Absolutely. I am very excited for this. 
Finally, it's the event you've all been clamoring for, the Conan Moon Knight team-up. That's right. Yes. Who else do you get to fight the Serpent Society? <laughs> yes. Not the Serpent Society. Yes! This December, Marvel will launch Conan, colon, Serpent War, a limited series that will bring in not just Robert E. Howard's characters, Conan, Solomon Kane, and Black Agnes, but... I've never heard of Black Agnes. Yeah, who's a Black Agnes? But, but Marvel's own Moon Knight as well. The four-issue time-traveling tale will be written by Jim Zub with art from Scott Eaton, Steven Segovia, and more. Uh, here is a little bit... No, I don't need to read this. Nah. Uh, Jim Zub had some things to say about it, of course. Uh, you First can, and foremost, you can read that. time travel. So... Time travel, obviously. Now, yes. we still have Conan and the Savage Avengers. We do. Running around. Modern day. Yes. I don't like it. Uh, not a time travel story. So this is another time I mean, when Conan had not become a Savage Avenger. Well, we don't know. Time travels. We don't know. Savage Avengers might be Moon over by then. I don't know if Savage Avengers is, is Savage Avengers an ongoing. Yes, it is an ongoing comic. So at the, at the end of Avengers Ain't No Road Home No Mo, the Scarlet Witch had been thrown back to the Hyborian Age and uh, she met Conan. Conan came back to the present to help the Avengers fight um the Night Queen, and at the end of it, instead of being transported home, he woke to find himself in the Savage Land. Right. That's where Savage Avengers picks up. Um, I don't know what... Everyone else had a road home except for Conan. It should have been called Avengers No Road Home for Conan. No. <laughs> no country for old Conan. The Avengers go home, not Conan. <laughs> uh, Savage Avengers isn't ongoing. It is still ongoing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know. We've got him running around the modern day. He's we don't now know going where the time, time frame is going to be. Yeah. Well, we, we know, know the there's time, time travel involved. We know there's time travel, but also Solomon Kane is also from the past. Yes. So. They're all time traveling. Yeah. This is very dynamite comics. Yes, right. Very yes. dynamite. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just like forced time travel, and now Red Sonia is hanging out with the Shadow. <laughs> right. <laughs> what? <laughs> so here's your solicit for the first two issues: uh, Conan Serpent War number one and two of four, written by Jim Zub. Uh, I already said all this. Uh, Warriors across time defy the Elder Gods. Whoa. James Allison will soon die, but it's not his first death. He's lived many lives in many places, lives he can recall in vivid detail. But when an elder god called the Wyrm, W-Y-R-M, yeah, reaches, the Wyrm, <laughs> reaches across time to James, an ages spanning quest begins. The serpent god Set plans to usher in an eternity of darkness, and only the chosen warriors across time and space have a hope of stopping him. Conan the Barbarian, Solomon Kane, Dark Agnes. Who is Dark Agnes? And the man known as... A moon connect. Uh, according to the solicit, it's an unprecedented comics event. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll give it that. Look, I think it's pretty precedented if you ask me. Dark Agnes de Chastillon. Dark Agnes, also known as Agnes de la Fer, and the Sword Woman is a fictional character created by Robert E. Howard. Uh, I think I've actually heard protagonist of, of the three sword stories woman. set in 16th century France. Where, which were not printed until a long time after the author's death. <laughs> this is according to Wikipedia. Long mm, time after. A long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she was, uh, she was like a musketeer kind of thing. Okay, sure. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. I, we said that's uncovered to cover. I'm already tired of Conan interacting with I'm the modern universe. Of it. I'm tired of it. I, I don't think they need to do it, and I don't think it's going to excite Conan readers to read Marvel comics, and I don't think it's going to read Marvel readers to read Conan comics. I think it waters down Conan. Yes. Yes. And we said this, what, 
when we announced that Marvel got the rights back, we said Marvel's just going to put out anything they can and with Conan's name on it. That, and they immediately just like proved they us right. Just they did with Star Wars. Instantly proved us right. Yeah. And <laughs> I was excited to read, like, yeah, give me one good Conan the Barbarian book or two. Give me Savage Sword of Conan and Conan the Barbarian. I'll Fine. go further. I'll or, go further or than that. Or give me Conan the Barbarian and King Conan. I'll go further than that. I will say I don't have a problem. If you want to write a story where one character goes back in time and bumps into Conan in ancient Samaria, I'm okay with that. We know they time travel. They do the shit all the time. I get it. I don't need Conan coming to the modern day. I don't need that. I don't need it the other way. That's stupid. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I, my enthusiasm for Conan, which was high at the beginning, is now non-existent. I'm still reading the regular Conan book. Is it's it still Jason Aaron? Still Jason Aaron, and it's still very good. Yeah. It is very good. I mean, I would get, I would The Savage Sword of Conan is still fun, although I have fallen behind. I read the first issues of the uh, uh and what was the other one? Valeria. Valeria. And they were fine. I don't need them. And then we reviewed the most recent one by Asad Ribic. Uh, that had mostly no words. Right. Uh, which was pretty to look at, and he draws some weird faces, and Matt's in denial about Get it. Get out of here. He does not. <laughs> You're a jerk. Uh, all right, so to sum it all up... Um, I'm happy Moon Knight's getting a push. I don't necessarily need it like this. Obviously, he's getting pushed because of TV news and shit. Yeah. We're going to see more Moon Knight, which is a good thing. This is a weird way to do it. Yeah, Marvel's being Marvel. Mm-hmm. Ain't, no, ain't no different news today than any other day. No. And I'm not. not really interested. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while laying in the tattoo chair getting our full Serpent Society membership tattoo. It's not about the Serpent Society. (laughs) I get that. But we did get the tattoo. Well, now we're stuck. All tattoos. Now we're stuck in the society. And they did kind of a shitty job of him. Puff at her. He looks weird. (laughs) His face looks weird. (laughs) I can't even tell which one is boom slang. Hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover live every Saturday, where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11 to noon Central Standard Time. It's like car talk, but not as cute, and we're still alive, so smoke it, boys. All right. <laughs> are they both dead? Are Click and Clack both click dead? Click and Clack, I believe, are both dead. Oh, They no. are dead men. That's not going to stop NPR from still airing it every fucking Saturday in Nebraska, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and if you nerds don't call in, we don't have a show, so you got to call us at 402-819-4894, or you can click the Call Now button on our Facebook page. We're going to talk about the new question of the week in a little bit. We had a lot of fun this past week talking about superhero blunders. Yeah. And if you can't be there live, you can leave us a message or you can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. This just in, breaking news, Click is still alive. Yeah, nobody cares about him without his brother, though. Yeah, so. no. he may as, yeah, He may as well be dead. He might as well be dead. His career is dead. Kill yourself, Click. <laughs> Whoa, I'm not going that far. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> It's Spotlight Review time in the Ziggurat where Joe and I are hanging out with the Abrams clan and getting just a little lost in a whole new G.I. Joe-averse. Get it? Lost. Oh, that's not even what I was going for. Don't do that. Don't you do that it. to me. Don't you put that on it. me. That's Don't your put that fault. on me. Joey, why don't you start us off with a whole new Spider-Man? All right. Uh, Spider-Man number one. From Marvel Comics, written by J.J. and Henry Abrams, with art by Sarah Pacelli and colors by Dave Stewart. It's 40 pages for $4.99. I'm not going to read the solicit because it's stupid. 
Uh, and it's also one sentence long. It is kind of a dumb solicit. <laughs> All right. Let's start out spoiler. with a spoiler alert. warning here. Spoiler. Uh, Matt, alert. insert the alarm sounds if you spoiler. will. Sure. Uh, it's kind of spoiler. impossible to talk about this issue without addressing what happens in the story. So I'm going to. In typical J.J. Abrams fashion, there's a huge twist in the opening pages of the issue. And the twist is that Spider-Man isn't actually about Spider-Man at all. At least not the one we were all expecting. This takes place in a world where Peter and MJ not only married, but had a young son named, of course, Ben. The issue opens with Mary Jane's death at the hands of Cadaverous, a hulking metal robot zombie looking thing. Spidey loses an arm. It's a real bad scene. Flash forward 12 years and Ben is a moody high schooler constantly picking fights to defend other people. Aunt May is somehow still kicking and basically. (laughs) So it's really bad. (laughs) She's just like a sack of flesh. Uh, She's basically raising Ben on her own because in his grief, Peter has become a more or less absentee father that's constantly throwing himself into different assignments for the Daily Bugle. He's got a sexy beard, too. Yeah, he's got a beard. He's He's got fuzzy. He's got Spider-Man 3 emo hair. Yeah, he looks great. The character stuff here is really well done. Ben is a pretty likable kid that looks out for his friends. Peter has clearly lost touch with Uncle Ben's message about power and responsibility, and his strained relationship with his son really rang true to me. When Ben's powers start to kick in, Aunt May is there to comfort and support him. This May seems like a nice blend of the traditional old Aunt May and the sharper, sassier version we've seen in like the Ultimate titles and the more recent films. You know what? She reminded me a lot of the Lily Tomlin version from Into the Spider-Verse. Like, she's like a confidant. Yeah, okay. She's confident. Yeah, yeah. She's a confident confidant. A confident confidant. <laughs> We're so good at this. I didn't even, look, it's late. I don't have much to say about Sarah Pacelli's art that hasn't already been said a dozen times. She's so good. I thought it was kind of unrecognizable at first. And then I, her style has has it's over changed. time kind of gotten a little looser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I this love is it. cool. This is cool. Definitely. Yeah. She's so good at conveying emotion with simple facial expressions and body language. And she's equally adept at drawing creepy monsters and action scenes. Dave Stewart is an industry legend. His colors elevate everything he does, especially this book, or including this book, I should say. Uh, If I had to complain about one aspect of the visuals, it's the fact that Cadaverous's killer drone things look like the love child of Penance, a.k.a. Speedball, and the Xenomorph from Alien, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it ever since Matt pointed it out to me. When I was looking at it, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Are they doing what I think they're doing? Because if they are, Joe's going to lay a fucking egg. No, I mean, they're not. They're not. But and, and they do look cool. But like oh, once if it were speedball related, specifically speedball as parents, <laughs> they're like, wow, JJ, you did it. Uh, you did it. Yeah. It's Truly, hard not no to story see once you have behind. that idea in your head. Uh, there was a lot of talk about this being a big stunt by Marvel. Slap his famous dad's name on the cover and throw poor Henry into the deep end. But this was a really nice read. It's well written. It's got fantastic art. The downside is that while setting this tale in an alternate world does allow the creators free reign, separating it from Marvel U makes it easy to feel like it doesn't matter. Yep. But a good story is a good story, and yep. I'm giving it a buy it. DC is doing that at Black Label now, so yeah. maybe this is Marvel's take on that. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter anymore, but it was a good story. The art was very cool. I like this take of... Mary Jane and Pete having a kid. Yes, I, I mean, absolutely. I've got no problem with this book. I'm giving it a buy it as well. It was just fun. Yeah. 
And it was like, so Ben's a mutant, right? Yep, I guess that's how that Born works. Yeah, he's Born with he's powers. first he's spider mutant. mutant. Yep. Well, I mean, there have been other future spider kid stories, but yes. I guess. Yeah, yeah I guess that's true. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this was a pleasant surprise. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not what I expected. The, the curveball of it not being set in the current Marvel U was, I, did I, not, I didn't see it coming. I mean, we couldn't have from the... Who dat cadaverous, you know, that that in solicit that we got. It really didn't tell us anything. So, yeah, I, I was kind of shocked at first. So I I mean, when we get to the point where there's a I'm not going to give away the big spoiler, but we get to a point in the book where something happens and I went, OK, so this is definitely not in continuity. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> but they did that very quickly. And I like yeah. that they did it because they made you pay attention. Go. Yep. They set, right. they set the premise up right away. It hooks you. Yeah. And yeah, I'm in. All right, Matt Bomb. We both love G.I. Joe, but it's been a long time since we've been invested in the G.I. Joe comic. It's been a little while. Is this the one to do it? Well, let's talk about that, shall we? This is G.I. Joe, number one from IDW, written by Paul Aller. It's the first ever G.I. Joe number the one. The very first one, with art by Chris Evan Hui. Evan Hui. I asked him how it was pronounced, and he gave me a phonetic pronunciation, and it did not help me at all. <laughs> 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Tyranny is on the rise as Cobra topples governments and spreads its ruthless power across the globe. In these trying times, desperate measures are taken. The new G.I. Joe program recruits civilian spies and saboteurs. Ordinary people living in occupied territories who will put their lives on the line to strike back through clandestine but high-impact emissions. Missions, not emissions. <laughs> Join I, these high <laughs> impact emissions. Kapow! <laughs> Join these new recruits as they resist Cobra Control, fight to make a better world for all, and find out what they're capable of. Yada yada yada. You get it. All right. Your suggested soundtrack for this is "Life During Wartime" by the Talking Heads, because that's what they named this first story chapter after. I have not read G.I. Joe at IDW since Tom Scioli's G.I. Joe Transformers. And as fun as that read was, it also probably doesn't count when it comes to Joe continuity. Here, Aller drops the reader straight into a world where Cobra has won. It is over. And there's a panel that establishes just that very early in the book. Much like the book we just talked about. No spoilers, but it was effective as hell. And it lets the reader know that all bets are instantly off. This is a massive departure from the Joe title that IDW has been publishing, and I like the chance they're taking here with the idea. There were some moments that I wondered if maybe I had missed a zero issue, but Aller is also introducing a new character. His name is Tiger, and he's telling the story from Tiger's point of view. So I guess it makes sense that Tiger wouldn't know either. The real star here is Chris Evanhuis and his amazing art. He's got a Mike Allred animated style that... Albeit he's still coming into a little bit. There were some panels that were a little stiff here and there, but the guy is very talented and he is going to be an artist to watch. While Aller's story was supposed to shake the reader, it did leave me wondering if maybe I did miss something. But I like this idea and had a good chuckle with the last page. This isn't must-read Joe Comics yet, but it's a welcome shake-up for G.I. Joe, and I'm giving this first issue a very strong skim it. I was looking for the tweet with the, the artist. I, I want to see what this is all about. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it was fine. It, I liked the art. You're right. Um, the first few pages, they did do something that I definitely went, 
Wow. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I uh, did not know that that's where we're at. I'll give uh, <laughs> Paul Aller credit for that. Um, but this did not really feel like G.I. Joe to me. Well, I mean, it is a completely different take. They are... Like they're, they're in street rebels, clothes, you know. Like Roadblock was like shaken up over the fact that he had to shoot a guy. I'm he like, never done it. You carry a giant machine gun. That's no. the whole part nope. of your character. Not this Roadblock. I know, but I was like, don't, then don't call him Roadblock. He's you, not Roadblock. Well, they then. have to have code names. <laughs> sure, they've got code names. I, I mean, it was. I did enjoy it, but it was so disconnected from what I know of. To be GI Joe, that it was hard for me to see. That's like, really get invested in trying it. to mash your GI Joe all over no, the story. No, no, that's not. And this story like, doesn't want your GI Joe mashed up against it. Okay, it's buddy. Like, it's like if you came out with a comic book called Chris Star Crystal Warriors, and it did not star any of the actual Crystal Warriors. Or perhaps if you came out with a book called Rom Space Knight that only starred Rom and nothing else in the universe. <laughs> right, right. IDW's good at that. Um, but yeah, I'm giving it a strong skimmit because it's well done. I just, it didn't quite click with me, but there were a lot, there, there's a lot going on here that I did enjoy. Yeah, I think it could build. I think it's building. So that is a double buy it for Spider-Man, the very first ever Spider-Man number one it's comic. It's a histor- history making. And a double strong skimmit for the very first ever G.I. Joe comic. We will post our written reviews over at TwoEditedNerd.com so future freedom fighters can remember that we were in fact part of the problem. But we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics too, so call us this weekend. THN cover to cover at its new time, 11 a.m. to noon Central Standard Time. We're talking superhero wedding memories. Mm. It's going to be beautiful. There's no reason to tape my eyes open! Joe, this is just to ensure that you take in every second of this year's Halloween horror film Bonanza so you can get over your childish fear of scary movies. Is that why you tape my hands down too? Trust me, I have a certificate from a prestigious online horror movie school. Although it it was for their horror dental program, but I'm sure it's gonna work fine. Let the record show that I am not comfortable with the idea of Matt beaming several of his favorite horror movies into my eyes simultaneously. While we review eight more of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Napoleon Dynamite, number one from IDW. Napoleon? Napoleon. Is that how we're saying it now? Napoleon. (laughs) Napoleon. Just in time to capitalize on the 2004 film, IDW hits readers with a comic continuation of the beloved cult film, and it looks like trouble for Pedro when a student demands a recall for his class presidency win. Uh, They're still in high school, huh? Writers Carlos Guzman Verdugo and Alejandro Verdugo, they are brothers, capture the weirdo magic of Napoleon's voice and character perfectly. And Jorge Monlongo and Jorge Monlongo's art was fantastic. There are some panels in this book that were flat out excellent. Monlongo's style was cartoonish and bizarre, but it worked perfectly for this return to the Napoleon verse. I am shocked at how much I enjoyed this read. I am giving it a buy it. No shit. It was great. All it right. was really funny. Steeple, number one from Dark Horse. Giant Days creator John Allison returns to cartooning with this tale of a sleepy coastal town in the parish that battles the strange supernatural forces assaulting it. 
Allison is a tremendous writer and his dialogue is very smart, clever, and incredibly British. Oh, it's so British. <laughs> He's also a really talented cartoonist. He hasn't been drawing Giant Days for a while. Yeah. Another artist does yeah. it. Uh, Steeple number one was a really fun read by an awesome creator whose work I've only just recently uh, had the pleasure of discovering in the last like year or so. Looking forward to more of this. Giving it a buy it. I've been doing uh, British on Duolingo. I'm getting pretty good. Oh, good. Nice. Yes. Yeah, I can tell. 15 minutes a day. I can tell. No. Blip. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Chris, the British guy, wherever he is. Black Panther and the Agents of Wakanda, number one from Marvel. Jim Zub writes a pretty straightforward and formulaic yeah, right? new team it book. It was just... Wasp, Manwolf, Fat Cobra, Okoye, Brew, and Gorilla Man. They all get brief intros. A new threat rears its ugly head. Land Medina is great in some panels, a little weird in others. Zub has some fun writing Fat Cobra. And there's a last page that made me say, really? Same! <laughs> Out loud. I read your review first, yeah. and then I read that comic, and when it got to that page, I went... <laughs> There's no shortage of team books at Marvel, and if Zub wants this one to stand out as something special, he's going to need to turn on the magic with issue two. Right now, it just gets a skimmit. I The best thing I could say about it is it was a comic book. <laughs> Flash forward, number one from DC. Oh, speaking of comic books. So the good news is that Wally West is still an important character in the DCU. An important murderer. The bad news is, is that this turd is the only place to find him. Wally has been thrown into a corrupt Supermax prison alongside... Oh, all corrupt. Don't kid yourself. Alongside villains that he helped incarcerate because that's what you do to accused yes. suspects that have not been convicted yes. of a crime. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're a pedophile, you go to little boys prison. So all the little <laughs> boys that are in there Jeez. can fuck you up. <laughs> Suddenly, he's recruited on a multiversal quest by a ridiculous-looking Watcher-esque cosmic being. Scott Lobdell's script is so overwrought with melodrama, and Brett Booth's art has that same Jim Lee cross with J. Scott Campbell vibe that it's always okay, had. That's what that dude does. I know. It looks the same. Yeah. If, you, if it wasn't for the coloring, I would have believed you if you had told me this comic had been drawn in 1997. Well, that's what Brett Booth does. Fine. Part of me doesn't hate it. <laughs> I yes, same. I don't. You know what I mean? It. I don't hate it. it I don't it hate just, it either. He is what he is. But he's not an artist I get excited about. No, he hasn't exactly evolved. I'll say right. that. <laughs> now, look. I need. I have a primal biological imperative to know what's going to happen to Wally West. Gross. That's gross. I can feel it in my in my biology. Gross. But I'm reading Flash Forward, so you don't have to. Leave it. It was a piece of crap. Terrible. <laughs> it really was. The Forever Maps, number one from Scout. I've never heard of the creative team of writer Michael Lagasse and artist Todor Christov. No way I said that right. But as of this issue, they are officially on my radar. The Forever Maps follows a young man from an abusive family living in 1877 Toronto. Back then it was called York. Just York. He seeks to leave his family for school in New York but stumbles into a curse when he meets an old man obsessed with a map. After he helps the man to the map's destination, he finds himself pulled into the same curse 
of the Forever Maps. Oh, no. The scratchy black and white art in this book was nothing short of stunning and only matched by the dark and mysterious story. This first issue was a gem. I cannot wait to binge the rest of the story. This is part of their oh, binge imprint yeah. where you get one issue and then the rest of it comes out. And it said even in the book, sometime in December. <laughs> Give it a buy it. This was really cool. Inferior 5, number one from DC. I'm not sure what I just read here. Uh, <laughs> this comic takes place, uh, apparently, it takes place after the invasion crossover in the mid-80s. In fact, it's so connected to the post-crisis 80s DCU okay. that it has it just feels totally disconnected from what's happening right now in DC Comics. You're going to hear fine. a weird little audio thing. That's because Joe Patrick put his hands over his mouth. Yes, because I, I was gest, I'm gest, gesticulating. That is good podcast. Yeah, it is good. Uh, it takes place in a strange town beset by disappearances and other sinister goings-on. Uh, everything about this is so weird that I had a, a kind of a hard time wrapping my head around it. I'm giving Inferior 5 a skim it because I am curious to see where it goes and because co-writers Jeff Lemire and Keith Giffen both also deliver some incredible art. Keith Given is an artist that has changed so much since he, he got his start. He's unrecognizable. I love it. It's, it's He's still very good. Yeah. Do you so, think Keith Giffen thinks he's still living in the mid-80s? I'm just curious. I kind of do. Right? Yeah, I think I do. I think he does. You are obsolete. Number one from Aftershock. A disgraced reporter is invited to an isolated island run by a group of mysterious children. But why her? Who are the children? And writer Matthew Clickstein never tells the reader how the reporter was disgraced. So what's up with that? Even more mystery. <laughs> There's a lot of mysterious stuff going on here. The story is very well written, and it reminded me of a techie take on Village of the Damned, fantastic art by Yvegni Bornyakov, with some really great perspective work in there, too, that adds to the mysterious story. Great colors. This is a very pretty book to look at. It was a little overwritten here and there, but the mystery is good enough, and I'm giving it a buy it. Superman 15 from DC. I am not ashamed to say that this comic book made me cry, and, I, to and I told Bendis so on the Twitter. The new Legion of Superheroes. You're like, dear Michael Bendis, I am crying. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like Sincerely that. me. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> right. The new Legion of Superheroes finally makes their full appearance, and while they do look different, their character is immediately recognizable. Brian Michael Bendis and Ivan Rice do a tremendous job conveying the wealth of emotions that Superman and his family are feeling about recent events, including the final fate of his father, Jor-El. That's right. After... 18 years, the Mr. Oz story is over. Oh, really? He was Mr. Oz. Yeah. The you whole didn't know time. that? No, I did, but then it like went away for so long right, that I was yeah. like, was he? Right. And then I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. I guess that's gone and he's just back. Oh, yeah, he was, wasn't he? <laughs> Seriously, like there's a scene where uh, Adam Strange comes to Superman to tell him what's what's happening. And like things are so crazy and the battle was so intense that Superman's first reaction is to hug his friend. And I was just like, well, okay. <laughs> Artist Brandon Peterson has been illustrating the past Krypton scenes for the last several issues and his final pages here are breathtaking. This issue was so full of light and optimism and hope for the future. It's everything I want out of a DC comic book and it's everything that so many of their titles lack right now. Superman 15 gets a huge bite. 
That is your ludicrous speed round and rip is the sound of Scorpion tearing Miles Webbing. I'll say it's M like capital I. It's, it's, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I tearing Miles Webbing as seen in the pages of Absolute Carnage, Miles Morales, number one. This automatopoeia of the week was submitted by Jimmy Randall from all the way on the bottom of the planet via the THN Facebook I'm page. I'm stunned it got to us in time. If you want to submit an automatopoeia of the week, thwip it out of any of our social media accounts. Or you can send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Now that I can join the rest of the adults in the room in enjoying a good horror flick. Don't you feel better, baby? <laughs> oh, 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 easy, easy. It's time to declutter. It's time to declutter the THN Sanctum Sanctorum with these handy dandy storage solutions I picked up from the new subterranean IKEA. That opened up off the um, Pellucidar exit cave. Yeah, I wondered what they were building down there. But it's, it's huge. It's all held together with wooden dowels and hex star bolts. Now, Matt, while I look for that damn six-sided Allen wrench, why don't you tell the nerds about your must-read pick for next week? My must-read pick for next week is Bloodshot, number one from Valiant, written by Tim Seeley with art by the aforementioned Brett Booth. It is 32 pages for $3.99. I forgot about that. We know what it's going to look like. Yeah. <laughs> Just listen. Bloodshot is back with a few new thrilling tricks up his sleeve. No amount of high-octane explosions can keep Bloodshot from completing his new mission. Who is the mysterious Black Bar? And what do they want with Bloodshot? Fired up, man. Fired up. We got the news. The movie's coming in February. Vin Diesel's your bloodshot. Yeah. So I don't think the movie's going to be very good. But I'm fired up for this comic. <laughs> yes. Valiant makes good comics, and I like bloodshot. And Tim Seeley makes good comics, too. It's true. I think this might be his first Valiant work. I don't know. I'd have to look into that. Yeah. I don't know. Joe Patrick, what is your must-read pick for next week? Tell oh, me now. I, I demand it. I don't know if it's a must-read, oh, but we'll you're find so out. excited. Uh, my pick for next week is Strike Force, number one from Marvel Comics, written by Tiny Howard with art by German Peralta. It's 30 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. No compromise! No mercy! All new ongoing series! From the dark minds of rising stars, Tiny Howard and German Peralta comes a tale of the underside of the Marvel Universe. A new threat is secretly taking over the planet, and the more people who know about it, the more powerful the threat becomes. Oh my damn. Blade has dealt with this threat once before and hoped to never have to again. He can't bring the Avengers in on this, not just for their own safety, but for the safety of everyone on Earth. So he must recruit a team of heroes accustomed to darkness, a strike force, you know, like Wiccan and <laughs> Spider-Woman. Blade, Angela, Spider-Woman, Wiccan, the Winter Soldier, Monica Rambeau, what? And Damon Hillstrom join forces to fight the fights that no other Marvel team can take on. Because we picked their names randomly out, out of, of a, a hat. Yep, they did. They definitely did. It's like, who's not, who doesn't have anything going on right, right. now? Spider-Woman, wait, doesn't she have a kid? Yeah, who cares? <laughs> I don't understand this team. It's like, okay, Marvel's like, oh, yeah, what if we had an X-Force team, but it wasn't mutants? See, this feels like more team shit just to do team shit. I know. Which and is it's exactly like, what that Agents of Wakanda felt like. And it's got, Teams like, the shittiest, like, video game logo cover yeah. art. And, 
I don't know what so to make of it. So why is this your pick? Because sometimes I pick things for out of morbid curiosity. Yeah. All right. Well, you heard it here f- first, folks. We're morbidly like, curious about Tiny Howard is a good writer. So she, no, I, I like Tiny Howard. I don't have a problem with Tiny Howard. And if I she just, can give a reason why this team is a it. thing. And I like Blade. And honestly, Blade is probably not a character that can sustain his own monthly book. If this is how we get him and it's good, I'm okay with it. I hope he has the tiny little man thing that rides on his shoulder. I don't like the name. Strike Force. It's so generic. It's so it's 90s, so generic. like, Rob Lee Field team. I said this you know. when it was announced. It sounds like a mobile phone game. Yeah. Marvel Strike Force. Yeah. Or no, it's like, watch an ad for five stars. And you're like, all right. And it's like, yeah. download Strike Force yes, now. Exactly. Move right. your troops. Build a tank. Strike Force! You know, like, okay. <laughs> we'll see. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Revenger, Children of the Damned. From Floating World Comics, it is written and drawn by Charles Forsman, and we are a big fan of Chuckles. 144 pages for $14.95. Here is your solicit. Revenger travels a broken United States, helping the weak and exploited through the use of extreme violence. When all else fails, Revenger evens the score. A hyper-violent graphic novel from the creator of the end of the fucking world. And I am not okay. (laughs) Following the exploits of Revenger, a hard-boiled festival of force, fights, but not forgiveness. Damn! All three of our picks were like super violent. Dad, it's just like, shit, I'm afraid this book might beat me up. <laughs> uh, Chuck Forsman is great. He rules. Revenger is like it's brutal, like 80, violent 80s movie yep. maniac cop oh, bullshit. Love it's it. Awesome. Love it. These are just a few of the comics hitting new shelves at your local comic shop next week, but we want to hear about your must read picks and what's playing in your Halloween horror film fest. Head to the THN forums and let us know what you're reading, but also what you'd like to hear us review on the show. And don't forget to pre-order all your picks every week. What is best in life? Best in life? Crush your enemies. Crush your enemies. See them driven before you. They hear the lamentation of the women. It's time to check in with our roving reporter, Wooly Toots, to hear about the haps in the world of fantasy in a little segment we like to call the Swords and Scrolls Report. Greetings, fellow adventurers. It is I... Wooly Toots, with another edition of Swords and Scrolls. This time, uh, I wanted to touch on the Dungeons & Dragons Essentials Kit, which was a Target exclusive that sold out um, in some areas quite quickly, but just recently, on September 3rd actually, became available for purchase on a wider market. Now, before you run out and grab it, because you may have heard that the box is more player-focused and that it also has a mechanic for the game to be played with as little as two people, one dungeon master, one player. I figured I'd open up the box, explain its contents to you a little bit. All right, let's crack the lid on this thing. So uh, right away you'll see that um, it comes with a set of dice and um, this time it's a real nice set of dice because they give you two 20s and four six-sided dice, which is nice. Usually when you get box sets like this, it just comes with a standard set, uh, single dice 
but uh, having doubles and quadruples is great. Now there's two square bound books inside of it. Uh, one of them is the rule book and the rule book is a nice thinned down version of the rules. It doesn't give you a whole lot of player options, which I find funny when they're like, it's a player focused book, uh, product. It still only gives you like a couple choices when it comes to archetypes and things like that for each class, but it's more than enough to get a game going and if like the full-size player's handbook seems a little too intimidating this is much easier of a, a entry point uh, keeps things more simple and streamlined doesn't overwhelm you with a lot of choices but there's plenty in here to get things going in the back of the rule book is the appendix that focuses on sidekicks which is a new mechanic they um, introduced in their online Unearthed Arcana article series which they post on their website. Um, so basically they take NPC stats for basic characters like an expert, a warrior, and a spellcaster and they give you a small mechanic on how to level those sidekicks so that you can play with just one player this adventure. They of course can hire sidekicks to kind of fill out the rest of the party. It also comes with a dungeon master screen, which I really don't use DM screens in my game other than as a rules reference piece. And it comes with a beautiful double-sided poster map that you can unfold and look at the beautiful artwork by Mike Schley. Uh, one side of it is a map of Phandalin, the town itself. The other side is a map of this section of the Sword Coast that the adventure takes place where Phandalin is located and shows a bunch of the different adventure sites and things like that. There's also nine sheets of cards that you have to, uh, they're perforated, but you have to rip them apart. And There are magic item cards, there are initiative cards, condition cards, some combat summary cards, quest cards, which are great, and um, also the NPC cards, the sidekick cards. Those, these two are top-notch. The sidekick cards have um, brand new artwork for the different characters that they could meet in town and hire and become buddies with. Um, and the quest cards are great too because most times your characters are not gonna, your characters, your players are not gonna take notes. And so if you give them a quest card, they'll never forget what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, these sort of tactile elements are awesome um, I love this kind of stuff and then they comes with a tiny little cardboard box that you can put all the cards inside once you rip them apart aside from that one of the great bonuses is that it comes with a couple different codes that you can use on the D&D Beyond website one code unlocks the box set on the website for you so you can have access to everything online. Uh, the other code is a coupon, so you can buy the player's handbook on D&D Beyond for 50% off. Now, as I'm kind of going over this, and I've mentioned the starter set, um, yes, this adventure takes place in Fandolin. Do the two sets of adventures mesh well together? Well, let me tell you, currently, I have been running the Lost Minds of Fandelver, 
which is the adventure from the starter set. And I have begun to integrate adventures from Dragon of Ice Spire Peak into that campaign. I'm making a much larger Fandolin Sword Coast campaign by meshing the two. Of course, I'm going to have to adjust the encounters in the uh, new product from the Essentials Kit because the characters are now starting to outlevel a lot of the adventures in there. One very cool thing that the Essentials Kit does with their adventure is that there's a little sidebar that tells you if your characters are this level, you can do this or that to adjust it to make it harder or easier to, based on their level. So the product does a lot of that work for you, but any dungeon master worth his stones can adjust encounters based on his parties regardless. As for the adventure itself, it's pretty standard fare. It focuses around a dragon, of course, if you couldn't tell already by the name of it. But um, it's cool. There, it's, I think it's a good introduction product to D&D if you were thinking of getting it to start out. I would say out of the two, the starter set and the essentials kit, I do think that the starter set adventure, Lost Mine of Fandalver, is a better adventure. But I do think the Essentials Kit is a bit better of a product because of all the offerings that it has inside of its hard cardboard shell. So here comes the rating. Out of three swords, I give the Essentials Kit three swords. That's right. Now, a few mentions here before I jump on the back of my hippogriff and get out of here. Currently, uh, if you have Amazon Prime, you can stream a cool documentary called Eye of the Beholder, The Art of Dungeons and Dragons. It goes through the history of the artwork for the game and a little bit of history of uh, the game itself and the people involved. And it focuses on a lot of the artists. If you've been a fan of D&D, you'll recognize a lot of the names and a lot of the artwork. In comic news, we have uh, Marvel has regained the rights to Robert E. Howard's character Solomon Kane. They published some Solomon Kane books in the past, usually stories in the, you know, Savage Sword of Conan backups and things like that. They also did a limited series. They also have the character Dark Agnes, who's probably a little lesser known than Solomon, but she will be filling the void say, of Red Sonia. I think it's pretty interesting that they're latching on to Dark Agnes and Solomon Kane, who I'm not sure how well that character works. I mean, the character works in comics, of course, but what I mean is how well it sells. I did enjoy the books that Dark Horse did with Solomon, and they did do a comic adaptation of the Dark Agnes story in their uh, anthology series, Robert E. Howard's Savage Sword. Now, what excites me is the prospect of how far Marvel could go with Robert E. Howard's lesser-known characters. El Borak, Cormac Fitzjoffrey. They could adapt his pirate tales. They could adapt his western tales. That's what I would like to see, as well as Cole getting taken away from IDW and getting back into Marvel. Oh, and for the record, Matt, 
I was at Bro Omaha Con 2019. I was there for the opening ceremonies and for the closing ceremonies. I was there two nights, bro. I've been attending Bro Omaha Con since year one, dude. I'll never miss it. Now grab your shield and grab your spears, dog brothers, and form a shield wall with me, for there's a horde of orc coming. Exhaustion! That is it for THN 544 and 545. Looks like it is held up at the printers again oh. because they ran out of disemboweled mole man scent for our scratch and sniff cover. Gross. Joe, why don't you ask these nerds a new question of the week while I go collect some more samples? I don't want to know how you're going to get them. <laughs> this week's question was once again submitted by Black Scorpion the Three via the THN forums. The hardest working man in the question of the week. Yep. I'll tell you what. September is upon us, and as the wedding season comes to a close, I feel it's fitting to ask a wedding question. So what is your favorite comic book wedding? I got married in the fall because we was cheap. (laughs) I got married in... I've been revisiting comic book weddings, though, all week. They're so much fun. Even the shitty ones are so much fun. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This is my regular call-out for question of the week suggestions. Please hit me up with your ideas. Uh, Email's fine. Facebook, the forums... You know how to find me. If you're new to this show and you'd rather disembowel yourself at a wedding shower than listen to any more, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like our newest patron. Didn't we already thank Tim Benson? Just on cover to cover, not on the actual show. Tim Benson. Tim Benson. Yeah, when he called, I said, I mentioned huh. it. Oh, okay. That's why yeah. I did it. I was like, because I'm not fucking thanking him twice. Yeah. Okay? I'm not it's doing fine. that. It's fine. <laughs> thank you, Joe. Uh, thank you, though, Tim. Before we go, I had a really nice weekly shout-out written for Ian and Gail, a.k.a. Stately Lord Fungus and QE2. It was their wedding anniversary this week. But no, Rick Ocasek had to go and die. That's right. So did Eddie Money. So, Oh, and Eddie Money. That's right. <laughs> They're I both forgot. in there. Yeah, so uh, Matt's making me read the following. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Eddie Money and Rick Ocasek, two rock titans who passed away this last week. Eddie Money pumped out a million hits, and Rick was an incredible producer who worked with Weezer, Bad Brains, Too Many to Name, and he was the frontman for the greatest pop rock band of all time. That's right. Okay, the That's cars. right. All right. Where do you both and enjoy your time in Rock Valhalla? People need to take Eddie Money more seriously. That guy had a shitload of hits, all right? All right. He just, that wasn't just somebody in a funny fucking Geico commercial or whatever. Okay. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just tear up your two tickets to paradise. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Literally every Eddie Money song was him begging someone to either have sex with him, <laughs> to go home with him, or to go on vacation with him. They all were like, take me home tonight. The guy had a I've type. Got, I've got two tickets to paradise, okay? Pack your bags. We can leave tonight. <laughs> you know? It's like begging. <laughs>